Bear Books presents Ending Samsara, written by JW Voice and read by Daisy Ray. Part 1, Chapter 19, An Enraging Diversion C had felt rushed and agitated in every second spent at the office, even with Jeremy back to help out. She still felt the crushing sense of there not being enough hours in a day. Her husband had been working from home and watching over Tammy today in order for her to show her face at the office until just after lunch. It was certainly easier to plough through her work in the conventional environment, devoid of distractions, but today had been particularly busy. She'd still not managed to complete the quarterly driver's report. Since Jeremy's self-imposed demotion, they'd worked out quite an efficient schedule. Today, for example, Cecilia would be collecting the boys from school while he drove Tammy to her dialysis appointment. This should have allowed her just enough time to make it home and submit the report by the five o'clock deadline. Although this was the plan, as her father, the devout Jehovah's Witness, often quipped, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. Despite it being well before rush hour, traffic was bumper to bumper. C had allowed for this notoriously troublesome section on her route. Approaching the centre of town, she faced a second unforeseen hurdle, however. The road ahead was blocked off. A male and female police officer stood in front of a series of barriers. You've got to be kidding me, she muttered to herself. The vehicles ahead of her were all being redirected. As she crawled towards the flashing cones and luminous signs, she watched the cars in front, each make a U-turn, and witnessed the disgruntled expressions on some of their faces as they passed. She knew the roads well. Any alternative route would add at least 45 minutes to her journey. She did not have anywhere near that much time at her disposal. No, she thought to herself, not today. She glanced at the clock on her dashboard, The stretch of congestion had already taken its toll. She was feeling defiant, enraged in fact. All she wanted from life was to be a good parent, to do enough and earn enough to grant her children a good life. She was giving it everything, trying to show her boss she was still pulling her weight, showing the boys and their school teachers she was still to be relied upon. But no matter how strong her devotion, life continued to contest her. She carried on towards the blockade as all the other cars indicated left and pulled away. At this range, it was only her SUV continuing straight now. One of the officers made an ardent gesture for her to turn, and she carried on regardless. With his female colleague continuing to redirect traffic, the male officer approached her car. She rolled down her window. Mom, he said, the road is closed, please follow the diversion. Officer, I need to pass through here. I'm screwed if I have to go any other way. Like I say, ma'am, the road is closed. What's happened? A shooting? A bomb threat? No, nothing like that. Then what? I really have to get through. You and a thousand other drivers, I apologise, but you need to find an alternative route. What's happening? Can you just tell me that? Though C realised she might be pushing her luck, At the very least, she wanted to know the reason for the grievous imposition. If I explain, will you please move along, said the officer, who was clearly not having a good day himself. Fine. We've had to clear the whole area for the safety of a VIP. Are you serious? 
Who the hell is it? The President. Might as well be. The officer made a rather disrespectful shoeing motion with his hand. Now please move on. C glanced at the large pistol attached to the man's waist and decided to do as she was told. Joining the heavy flow of redirected traffic, she became wholly aware that she wouldn't make it to school in time to collect her boys. Call West Palm Elementary, she yelled into the centre console of her car. Calling West Palm Elementary, the robotic voice obediently replied. C was put through to the operator before speaking to the woman who ran the after-school club and asking for a staff member to collect the twins from final period. With her sat-nav informing her that she would not make it to the school for another hour, she realised that there was no chance of submitting the QDR for 5pm. She could not afford another blot on her record. Finishing the report was not an arduous task. She'd done most of the work in the last few days, but she was still left with a few administrative touches to make and the act of submitting it. There was only one other person with the ability to accomplish this, but they were currently on vacation. She cursed several times in the ensuing couple of minutes before concluding that they were still her last hope. Phone Bella, she yelled. Cecilia felt a rush of relief as her colleague answered after several long and dispiriting rings. See? Bella! Cecilia leaned into her steering wheel. I'm so sorry to call you. I know you're in France. Listen, I'm currently up Ship Creek without a paddle. Excuse my, um, French. I'm stuck in insane traffic and I need to hand in the quarterly within the hour. There's just no way I'm going to manage it. Okay. C could envisage the frown on her colleague's face. You know I wouldn't ask something like this if I wasn't absolutely desperate. But is there any way you could use my login and finish off the report for me? C, what the hell? It's almost ten in the evening here. We're out at a restaurant. I'm really sorry to ask, but if I don't get that report in, I'm screwed. You know I'm still not exactly in the boss's good books. It's honestly practically finished. It'll take like 10 minutes to submit it. 15 tops. You know I can't just do that on my cell phone, right? Her colleague's observation was a valid one. Yeah. Is there absolutely no way you could get to a hotel or something and find a computer? You literally just need one with an internet connection. Bella sighed. You know, I did see some kind of cafe with a public computer down the street. Oh my God, any chance you could make it down there? Please. Neil isn't going to be happy about this. You seriously owe me one. Anything, you name it. Fine, I'll do it. C passed on all the information her colleague would need and concluded the call with an endless torrent of thank yous. She took a few measured breaths and sensed her blood pressure returning to normal. When she eventually arrived at the school, she begrudgingly paid the $40 to the after-school club woman and accepted the lecture she was given about providing her with more notice in future. Back home with the boys, she entered her living room to see Jeremy sitting with his laptop. The TV was on, quietly playing some kind of live internet stream. You guys are back late, he commented, barely lifting his head from his screen. C ushered the boys upstairs to do their homework, something she'd naively hoped they would have attempted in the after-school club. Don't ask. C raised an eyebrow as she noticed something familiar on the TV. What's this? Wait, is that Galoshio's on 4th Street? 
Yeah, weird, huh? Edgar Lombard is being interviewed there. It was all over the news, so I thought I'd catch it live. That absolute scumbag, C groaned. Jeremy looked up. Whoa, what's up? Here's the reason I'm back so late, and why I almost missed a work deadline. They blocked half the town off for that douche. Hey, he's one of the greatest minds on the planet. He's discussing a potential breakthrough in artificial intelligence. Hundreds of millions of people are watching this around the world right now. Okay, but why the hell did he have to do it in Galusios? PR move, maybe? Huh, PR move indeed. Pissing off half the commuters in Jacksonville so he can have an interview in a quaint little coffee house. C felt her anger subside while she watched the discussion for a moment. The billionaire seemed particularly loose, she thought. He wasn't known for making a lot of public appearances, and in the few instances she had seen him, he'd always come across as quite uptight and formal. The interviewer was an attractive woman, in her late twenties. She looked to be conducting herself rather more professionally, which C appreciated. Whenever Mr Lombard attempted to direct the conversation onto lighter, more jovial territory, she deftly guided it back to the subject in question. Betty tries to get her number after this, he said. Don't be ridiculous, Jeremy scoffed. He's a happily married man. C picked up the remote control and muted the TV. How's Tammy? She's upstairs. I said how, not where. How did dialysis go? Fine, I guess. She didn't need to stay over. She looks exhausted, though. Any other news? Nope. Still dying. Still needs a transplant. The flippancy of the statement would have been met with anger if Cecilia had not heard the slight break in her husband's voice. She walked over and crouched down beside him. He slammed his laptop shut, flicked off the TV and reciprocated by wrapping his arms around her shoulders. There was nothing to say. Nothing could be said. The crushing pain did not exclusively belong to either of them in that moment. It manifested as an entirely shared emotion. If he'd sworn and screamed, she would have joined him. If he'd suddenly broken into tears, she knew she'd have done the same. Instead, they just held each other, hearing only the sounds of their own breathing, and the room encased in cold silence. After a while, this was broken by the sound of footsteps above them. Cecilia collected herself and stood up, she didn't want either of the boys entering the living room and witnessing their parents looking so defeated. She wasn't even certain as to why exactly, but it was of the utmost importance to her that these moments were not shared with any of the children. Perhaps she wanted to uphold a kind of unflappable resilience, an air of enduring positivity in the face of everything. Jeremy had started dinner in the slow cooker as soon as he'd returned from the hospital. Cecilia finished the job and plated it up while he fetched the boys from upstairs and interrogated them on the quality of their homework. Tammy was left to sleep. Once everyone, including Jeremy, was suitably full and ready for bed, C crept into her daughter's room, stood over her bed and simply watched her for a while. The mention of the word transplant earlier, a word uttered regularly in the last few months, had once again stirred some other particularly uncomfortable emotions. Raised as a Jehovah's Witness, it was drilled into her that the Lord did not approve of transplants or even blood transfusions for that matter. Despite C's faith softening several years ago, she wondered what kind of God would allow a child to become so sick in the first place and then deny them a procedure that would make them well. She knew she might be broaching this conversation with her father at some point. 
In fact, it was her greatest hope that she would have to. But this was yet another complication which she would rather not contemplate at present. With God apparently never available to give his take on such matters, Cecilia settled into the next best contact. She'd never known Tuari to deflect her call. C.D., how are you? She answered with a sense of solemnity, although unlike the way most people addressed her lately, it was devoid of pity. Cecilia said, I've been better, and as a form of escapism decided to try and focus the conversation on her friend. Tiwari seemed to live such a rich and interesting life, diametrically opposed to her own in myriad ways. It was vicariously liberating to hear of her exploits for a while. Eventually, though, C brought the conversation back to herself and the subject of kidney transplants. So let's imagine they are against it, Tiwari started. Would it alter your decision in any way? Of course not, C responded instantaneously. Then it would appear the subject is moot. You may have to face such a talk in the future, but until you do, there's no sense even troubling yourself with it. C tried not to freefall into her usual melancholic remonstrations, cursing life for its cruelty and injustice. But when it felt like she had veered in that direction, Tiwari simply replied, Perhaps your family's struggles in this life will be rewarded in the next. It was never clear if her friend actually believed such statements. C always picked up on a certain wryness to them. And whenever asked about faith or religion, Tiwari typically gave the same answer. I would never rule it out. These sentiments expressed by Tiwari never felt insincere and C never mocked them. It often felt like the woman was in on something no one else was and if she'd been endowed with a kind of secret wisdom that she could not entirely divulge to anyone, whatever it was, it gave sea comfort at times like these. While he was on her mind, and as she'd ignored all his recent attempts to contact her, she decided to phone her father. They spoke for half an hour, and the subject of transplants was thankfully not broached. How often have you been praying, Cecilia? The old man asked her in his typical combative tone. Dad, not now, please. Not now, he tuttered. When has there ever been a more appropriate time to seek the Lord's guidance? I don't think Tammy needs the Lord's guidance, Dad. She needs medical care. Pfft, he scoffed. Just try it and have some faith. I raised you better than this. Cecilia abruptly ended the call, scared of what she might say. Alone in the living room, she sat on the sofa clutching a cushion. She clasped her hands together, rested her elbows on it and leaned forward, but she couldn't even humour the idea. Instead, she lifted the cushion to her face and screamed into it. She screamed until her neck muscles ached and her throat felt dry. If you'd like to learn more about J.W. Voice, the author of this story, pop along to the show notes where you'll find a link to him right there. And as for Bear Books Podcast, we're on all your favourite social media, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. See you on the next episode. Bye.